Mike and Don Jewell have been missionaries in Brazil for 15 years, and the last time that they were here was, I think, 2008 at the missions conference, and uh, so we're glad to have him back, and uh, he's going to preach for us this morning. Fifteen years. That's a lifetime to some, and it seems like just yesterday to us, but uh, Pastor McLaughlin was here. I would called him in, I think it was 96, and asked if we could come and present, and he said no. And, uh, okay, that happens quite often, and so, but later in the year, he was in a pinch, one of his missionaries had canceled out for the missions conference that year, and he called and said, would you be willing to come? And I said, no. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. I said, sure, we'd love to. So we ended up coming and uh, participated in that first missions conference. And since then, you have been faithfully giving on a monthly basis to our mission, mission in Brazil, and we, we thank you for that opportunity. Without your help, we could not be there. And that is a great privilege for us to be a part of the ministry of this church. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 9. Very familiar passage. If you read the book of Acts on a regular basis, it's one of my favorite books. Action-packed, the beginning of the church starts with Jesus giving us uh, the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And throughout the book, we see the church growing. In this crucial passage, we see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You remember Saul was a bright young man. He was a student of the Word. He was zealous in his religion. And he had one thought on his mind, and that was to stamp out the way of Jesus Christ. To stamp out the church. And he was not going to be stopped, or at least he thought, until we reached chapter 9 of Acts. And it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and I will, it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Let's ask God's blessing on our time this morning. Father, thank you again for the privilege that I have of being here this morning with these folks. Thank you for the opportunity that we have of looking at your word. I pray, Father, that your, your, your Holy Spirit would guide my tongue. Help me to uh, recall what I've studied and also help me to preach your word in a way that would be pleasing to you. Father, I pray that you would guide us to an, a better understanding of what missions is all about this morning and how we can be a part of that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, we see a young man that is bent on destruction, and the destruction is of the church of Christ. 
His goal in life is to bring one way into the limelight or to promote his way of thinking and to abolish the way of the Christian, Jesus Christ. Saul is headed to Damascus with orders from the high priest and from the Pharisees to go house to house, drag people out, and take them in chains to Jerusalem to be tried. And yet while he is on that road, with that in mind, Jesus Christ himself speaks to Saul, knocks him off his mule, and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you realize that if you are being persecuted, that Jesus Christ is being persecuted? If you are a member of the family of Christ this morning, you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you're being persecuted for the cause of Christ, it's not you that's being persecuted. It's Christ. Sometimes that's hard to grasp, isn't it? Uh, A year and a half ago, I was in my bed sleeping at... uh, 1.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden, my dog barked, and I told her to shut up. And then I realized that, as I looked into my kitchen, that there were three shadowy figures coming into my house. And I'm thinking, this is not a dream. I wish it were. They came into my room, and I said, hey! Well, hey, in English, means... Hey! Hey in Portuguese means king. So I'm sure they were wondering, why is he calling us king? But I said, hey! They said, shut up and put your head under your pillow. That night happened to be a stifling night, about 90 degrees. And uh, I was laying there with nothing but a sheet on and a pillow over my head and about suffocating. I, I took the pillow off my head. And as I did, just that moment, they flicked the light on in the bedroom and I happened to look around. And one guy threw something that looked like a rock in a sock at my head, and he hit me right on the chin. And praising the Lord, he didn't hit me here or here because it would put my eye out. But I'll tell you, it got my attention. And then a guy came around the bed. He took my sheet off, and so there I am totally exposed. And he put something to my head and said, We want dollars. They don't have dollars in Brazil. And uh, so I knew that this guy knew I was an American. But as I lay there thinking it happened so quickly that I, I I didn't know what to do but God had my attention I had read something the day before from Oswald Chambers that said Christ you will only know that Christ is all you need when Christ is all you have and I thought wow how appropriate here I am in my underwear with three clothed men rummaging my house, one with a gun to my head, asking for money, and I don't have anything else. I have nothing but Christ. It's interesting how I was more afraid after the fact than I was during the whole situation, which probably lasted about 20 minutes. But God had my attention. He had my attention. That right then, I, I, I just said, Father... Help this young man to see that he's doing wrong and that he needs you. I thank you for praying 
for us. These are, that's a dramatic situation that has only happened once in my 58 years. I hope it doesn't happen again. But I'm not praying that it does. Now, what I'm praying is, is that you pray. The video, which was a little bit jumbled, said, We pray that you will pray. Paul, on the road to Damascus, had no one to stop him. There was no wall. There was no army. There was no machine gun. He was on his way to do destruction. And yet Jesus Christ grabbed his attention and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, What? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When you're persecuted for the cause of Christ, it's Jesus that's persecuted. Verse 6. He said, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Remember, Saul had a goal. He had a purpose. He was going to stamp out the way. But Jesus said, you'll be told what to do when you get to the city. And he had a, an effective way of getting Saul's attention. Verse 7. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. What did they hear? They heard the voice. But later in Paul's account of the same testimony, it says that they didn't understand what they'd heard. Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. Can you imagine a man of Paul's stature, a man who had a purpose, type A personality. He had everything in order. He knew what he was going to do. He had a goal, stamp out Christianity. And all of a sudden, he's blind. And has to be led by the hand into the city. How humiliating. But it got his attention. Notice what happened. Verse 9. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. When's the last time you went three days and three nights without eating or drinking? That would be like never for me. I think I went one day, one time without eating. I drank because... I put a little bit of lemon in my water to make me think that I was eating something, and I was really hungry by the end of the time. But three days and three nights. Why was, Paul, why was Saul not eating and drinking? Christ has attention. I will tell you what you'll do. And I believe that it was here at this point that Saul comes to know Christ as his Savior. Because if you really look through this passage, you don't see him getting down on his knees and asking for forgiveness for his sins and asking Jesus Christ to come into his heart to be his Savior. It says that he was three days and three nights without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, this is another aspect of the story that it catches our attention and makes us think about, uh, makes us laugh a little bit. Notice what he says, And now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul for his praying. And he, said, and he has seen a vision and a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Isn't that coincidence? Saul has had a vision and he's seen a man named Ananias Ananias, that's going to come and lay hands on him and he's going to receive his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much 
harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias is saying what? I'm not going to talk to that guy. That guy, that guy has a warrant for my arrest. He's got a warrant for my arrest. If I walk into that room, I'm toast. I'm going to Jerusalem in chains. I've heard about this guy. Word spreads. But notice what the Lord said. But the Lord said unto him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Do you realize here we have God predicting Saul's future? He's going to stand before kings. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and before the Jews. I've got a purpose for this guy. And he's going to fulfill that purpose. Do you realize that it's the same for you? It's not necessarily spelled out like this in one verse. That's a nice, neat little package, isn't it? If someone came to you and said, I have a purpose for you, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to stand before, you're going to bear my name. You're going to bear it before kings. You're going to bear it before the Gentiles, before the Jews. Before you come home, you're going to do these things. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, it's here. It's here in the Word. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So not only has He given us the plan for our lives, but He has given us the assurance that He is with us each step of the way as we walk that great commission. He is a chosen instrument of mine. Paul was chosen, wasn't he? Paul did great things. Paul started a number of churches. He wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Paul was really chosen. But do you realize that you, t- you are also really chosen of God? You're not going to write Scripture. You might not even start a church. But God has a plan for you, and He can use you where you are. He can use you with your attitude. He can even adjust that attitude so that He can even use it more. He can use it you with your personality, with the little abilities that you have. Don't you just love the story of the widow with two mites who Jesus said she's given more than all the rest of these because she's given everything she had. I really wanted Jesus to say, so I'm going to bless her with millions of shekels. But he doesn't say that. He just calls his disciples' attention to her. Why? Because he wanted them to realize that if you give what you have, it's enough. A year and a half ago at our church, which is mainly made up of little kids and teenagers, my co-worker said, we need to buy some land for our church. And that land is going to cost 50,000 Brazilian bucks. We need to raise 50,000 Brazilian bucks this year so that we can buy land. And I said, well, I would like to have said, good luck, because that ain't going to happen. But I just said, hmm, okay, that's interesting. But, you know, he, he took the idea to the kids and he said, if we're faithful in our tithes and our offerings, God will be faithful with what his part. 
And he said, if you make a buck, what's the tithe on that? Ten cents. Right. If you make ten bucks, what's the tithe on that? One buck. Right. So be faithful with your tithes and your offerings, and let's see what God will do. Well, we began a a program called Ten Months for Faith. We had to have, uh, let's see, was it 50, 100 people that would be willing to give 50 bucks a month for 10 months. Now, would that work out to what, 50,000? Would that be 50,000? Okay, I'm bad at math. Uh, So we needed 100 people to give 50 bucks a month for 10 months so that we would have 50,000 bucks to buy the property that we were looking at. And I'm thinking, oh, what are we going to do when at the end of the year we don't have this? Well, God bless. And, and he provided 52,000 Brazilian bucks. Now, did all that money come from those little kids? No. Did all that money come from the American? No. The most, most of that money came from Brazilians in other churches that saw the vision and were willing to participate in that program and they raised 50,000 Brazilian bucks. We went back to buy the land, and the guy said, it's gone up to 80,000. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It didn't work. It didn't work. Then uh, something interesting happened. A, a Brazilian missionary that we know uh, has a, an online business. He does importing from China, and he sells online all over the world. He started this business a number of years ago and got so popular for some reason that Google shut him down. I don't know why or how they did that, but he was shut down by Google. Now, you know, that's pretty devastating. But he ended up starting another business and is making some pretty good money doing it. He has his family working in the business so that uh, he can do his ministry as, and the family can work the business. Well, with that business, he said to my coworker, he said, you know, I've got 27,000 Brazilian bucks that I can loan you at 2% interest for two years if you're interested. And my coworker said, yes, we're interested. We borrowed 27,000. We had 2,000 in the bank and we went and we bought two lots. That was God's plan. It wasn't my plan because I thought, oh man, where are we going to get that kind of money? I don't know. I could sell the house. and uh, you know, I was racking my brain to think about what we could do. And yet God had a plan and God helped that plan to be realized through the nickels and dimes and dollars that those little kids brought and, and the contributions from other churches to where we were able to buy a church full of junior church kids and teenagers was able to buy two lots in a town where missionary friends of mine right now are negotiating on a piece of property, which is two lots, for $100,000 or nearly 200000 Brazilian bucks. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Our little church of, like I said, it's Lilliput. It's, it's full of little people that God has blessed and, had, and, and has allowed us to buy two lots for 80000 when my missionary friends are buying a lot at 180000 Brazilian dollars. God has a plan. And when God has a plan in your life, you can't stop it. But I, wanna, I want to bring your attention to 
uh, an interesting part of this story. When Paul gets to Damascus, we know that Ananias ends up going, laying his hand on him, and he says, uh, Brother Saul, uh, let's see here, verse, verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, notice he called him brother, Apparently, he knew that he was a believer. God had told him, I've got plans for him, and he can't have plans unless he's a brother in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately after this, the scales fall from his eyes, and the disciples at Damascus begin to help Saul understand the way that he was trying to stamp out. He was studied in the scriptures. They began to give him the proper application of those scriptures. And to the point where, verse 22 says, But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. He, he had a goal to stamp that way out. And now all of a sudden, he's a thorn in the flesh of the Pharisees. So what did they decide to do? He was their hero. Verse 23, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Let's get rid of this guy. Let's get rid of this guy. He's, he's becoming a problem. We've got to eliminate him. Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night. This is what I want you to notice and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Who did that? It says, his disciples. Paul, Paul at this stage in his Christian walk, had disciples. But how could he do that? He was a young believer. He was, he was a new convert. How could he have disciples? It, should that be my goal? Should I have disciples? Yeah, I should. We all should, shouldn't we? We should have disciples. Why? Well, you know, I'm not that spiritual, and I do read my Bible, and I, you know, I pray at least for my food. And uh, how could I have disciples? That's the point, folks. We need to be disciple makers. Jesus said it. Remember, go and make disciples. Paul had disciples, and these disciples saved his life. How many were here? We don't know. But it said that they let him down through an opening in the wall. Maybe it was an opening like Rahab's house. She was, had a house built on the wall. And she had a window that looked out of the, the wall. And there were at least three or four guys, let's say four, four men who were willing to grab a rope and let Saul down from that window. Imagine... If one of those guys had dropped the rope halfway down and Saul would have tumbled to his death. Now we know that God is sovereign and that didn't happen. But imagine if it did. Do you think we would be here this morning? We might not be here because Saul had such a tremendous impact in evangelism that I believe, as I said before, we are the result of his ministry. If one of those guys, this is a crucial point in history, by the way, Four guys letting Saul down in a basket. If one of them had dropped a rope, 
and he'd have tumbled to his death, would we be here this morning? So what on earth does this have to do with missions? I think that you are holding the ropes. I believe that you are holding our ropes. I'm not saying that I'm Paul or Saul, but I'm saying we're ministering in Brazil because you're holding one of the ropes. How many of those, do you think that, that one guy held all the ropes to let Paul down? Probably not. It says his disciples did it, so we know that there were at least two, probably more. But one person's important. If you hold a rope, if you're willing to hold a rope for someone to escape, do you realize that you are uh, incriminated? In that crime, if it's a crime to help somebody escape, you're, you're part of the deal. The two young men that were taken to jail because they were sleeping in a house where they found cocaine, they had nothing to do with it. They were there because it was cheap rent and it was cheap food. They're in jail right now paying the price because the district attorney told me and them, he said, there's more than just one person involved in drug dealing. He said, there's the dealer that sells it to people. There's the person that goes and buys it. There's the person that grows it. And then there's the place where they store the goods. Guess what, guys? You were at that place. You were the two that were sleeping there that morning when the police came at 545 and invaded your house, dragged you out, and they found a kilo of coke in your brother's closet. You're implicated and you're going to jail. You better get a good lawyer because you're going to jail. You're 18 years old and there was a lot of drugs found in your house. They were implicated because they were there. Those men that lowered the ropes, that, that lowered that basket, do you think that they were risking their lives for the Apostle Paul? Why did they do that? You know, that's really putting your Christian faith in action. It's easy to pray sometimes, isn't it? Lord, help Joe as he goes through this terrible time with brain cancer and has been in the hospital for three months now. Help him to, to feel your presence. It's easier to do that than it is to actually go down to the hospital and visit Joe, isn't it? Go into Joe's room, pray with Joe, let Joe talk to you. That's hard. That kind of messes with our schedules a little bit. I'm not saying you don't do it, but it's just easier to say, Father, send someone to minister to Joe today and then not go. That's easy, isn't it? I, I, just, I like praying like that. You know, Help Mary to come to Christ. Mary needs to know about the gospel. Help send someone to... Well, wait a minute. Mary's your next-door neighbor. Think about it. Are you... Am I willing to hold that rope? I'd like to give you some ropes this morning, and I don't want you to take more than one. I'd like you, I'd like you to hold the rope for, for the individuals that I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you. And I don't, like, like I said, I don't want you to hold many ropes, because if one guy would have tried to lower Paul, more than likely it wouldn't have worked. Two guys might have been able to do it. I don't know how Paul was. I don't know whether he was fat or whether he was tall or whatever. 
But I imagine that there were more than one or more than two people holding the ropes here. And I would like you to take one. One rope. I'm going to give you eight. But I don't want you to take more than one because if you do, you, you, the tendency is I'll pray for all of these and then you don't pray for any of them. But if you would dedicate yourself to praying for some of these, for one of these, I would so appreciate it. You know why? Because uh, over the years of ministry, I've realized that support is very important. Without support, we couldn't be there. But I also realized that prayer of the saints is much more important. Oh, right, Mike. Yeah, we've heard that before. You know. Pray, give, go. No, I'm serious. When, when you pray, you realize that Paul, Saul was headed to Damascus with a purpose, and God changed that purpose completely. He lost his support because those guys that were with him on the road heard the voice, but what happened to those guys? All of a sudden, Saul became known back home. Hey, this guy's causing problems. We need to get rid of him. Where did that plot come from? More than likely, the guys that were with him on the road. They went back and told their leaders. But God's plan would not be thwarted. And I believe that God's plan for our work in Brazil is that people come to know Christ, that families are strengthened. And if you would be willing to hold a rope, and maybe for a month or two or six, pray for these people on a regular basis, I would so appreciate it. There's one family. The dad's name is William, and the mother's name is Val. They have three kids, Marina, Frankie, and Mayara. The dad and mom are unsaved. William is unsaved. He's interested, but unsaved. Val is doing coke. She's selling the kids' clothes to buy coke. She's selling the microwave. She's selling whatever she can to get coke. That family needs your prayer. Would one person take that family? The other, number two is Michael and Mateos. That's two names, Michael and Mateos. They're in jail right now. I mentioned them in Sunday school. If you would be willing to pray for God's will in their lives, you know, we want them to get out right now. And in Brazil, it seems that the baddest guys and the richest guys get out really quick. The guys that don't have any money at all can stay in rotten for 20, 30 years. We don't want those boys to have to do that. We would like to see God work in their lives. We would like to see them learn the lesson that they need to learn. But... We want God's will. Would you be willing to pray for Michael and Mateos? That's one rope. The third rope is a family. Uh, Louise, and, and Louise is the man, is the dad. Marcia is the mom. Neither of them are saved. They have four daughters, Amanda, Grazielli, Thais, and Jaini. I know you're saying, oh, how am I supposed to spell these? No. Just remember, Marcia and Louise, they need salvation. Marcia's been coming to our church for several years now, but has never come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Fourth row, Bruno. He's a little kid that's, let me think, he is 12 years old, and he was invited to church by Frankie. Frankie got excited about inviting kids to church. He invited Bruno to come. Bruno lost his mom just last year, and his dad works nights. Bruno has to take, uh, let's see, what would we call? He takes a, some medication to make him sleep at night because he's so afraid to be alone in his house. But Bruno recently accepted Christ as his Savior, but Jose, his father, has never accepted Christ. Would you pray for Jose? 
My coworker, Alexandre, his dad has, is, a, is a spiritist. And he believes in uh, life on other planets, but he does not believe that Jesus Christ was anything more than just a good guy. And my coworker has been praying for years for his salvation. Would you take that rope and say, help Angelou, Angelou to come to Christ. Angelou has got to be 60, 65, something like that. I mean, he is a very sharp individual, but in the area of spirituality, he is a fruitcake, really. I mean, he's nuts. He needs salvation. Would you pray for a, a young man named Wellington? Wellington is, uh, and it's spelled W-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N. His, he is uh, 14, been a part of our church for, since the beginning, but just now is beginning to realize his hormones. You know, he's 14 years old and thinks he doesn't need that kid stuff anymore called Sunday school or church. Would you pray that... Uh, he will come back and that, that God will help Mike Jewell to go and get that kid and that, that, that he'll come back. This last one is pray for our construction process. It's going to cost a lot of money, but we actually have some money set aside. We have, with the dollar going up in value and the, the uh, heyow going down in value, we, we have 30 grand to work with, 30 grand Brazilian. So that'll help us quite a bit. We'll be able to get our foundation in. But would you just pray that God blesses that process? Because in Brazil, what happens is sometimes uh, people tell you things that you really don't need to pay for, and you end up paying for things that aren't, aren't really worth it or we don't need. And we just want, we would just pray your protection on that building process. If you took one of those robes this morning, I would ask you to Pray. You don't have to pray all day long. You don't have to pray for three days and three nights like Paul without eating or drinking. If you want to, that'd be cool. But if you don't, if you just pray once a week, I don't want you to get too tired holding that rope and say, I can't do it anymore. But I, I would just be so happy if you would hold the rope for us. And what you could do, I send out at least a weekly update to most people. Pastors, I don't. I just do them every once in a while. But no, I sent out at least a weekly update that tells about what's going on. And if you would, if you would be so kind as to sign up for our uh, mailing list, I would appreciate it a lot. That way you can kind of keep in touch with what's going on down there. Uh, and I will, I will update you when these things begin to happen. And I might remind you when they don't. Did you take a role? Are you praying for these people? Will you hold us up in prayer. If you want my uh, email address afterwards, I'll give it to you. Uh, and uh, we would appreciate your prayers. And again, like I said to begin with, we thank you for the opportunity that you allow us to be your representatives in Brazil. We don't deserve that. And yet it's a privilege. And you guys have been faithful through the years. Thank you. Thank you so much for your prayers and your support. Father, we thank and praise you for this text in 
Acts that shares an intimate aspect of the life of Saul of Tarsus, his conversion. We thank you so much for how you used this man of God. Father, we, we put him on a pedestal and think we could never be like him, but his goal was to be like Christ. And Father, we pray that you will help us to be like Christ. I pray that you would help me to be like Christ. Help me to be more prayerful. Help me to hold the robes. Help me to be more bold in the proclamation of the gospel. I pray for Ambassador Baptist Church, and I thank you for each one here this morning, Father. Thank you for the faithful giving through the years that month by month they have helped us and I thank you for that faithfulness. Father, I pray your blessing upon this work, that this work here too will grow and that we will see as it grows more dedication to Christ and a greater outreach into the world. Father, we just thank you for these people. I pray that as we work together in your ministry that you will help us to be faithful and growing daily in our walk with Christ. And I thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.